Good morning, Elevation. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor. And I was clearly inspired last Sunday by our campfire worship and decided that I would try recording the sermon outside today. So I'm sure that I'll have some accompaniment with me, some wildlife, uh, including the children next door playing, maybe the guy two doors down who's doing some renovations in his backyard, but I'll do my best to stay focused. Um, this is just an absolutely gorgeous May day. And I actually was reminded that there was something that I wanted to show a couple of weeks ago, but forgot. At the beginning of May, actually, we have this large calendar on our fridge, as probably many families do. And Melissa tore off April and she looked at the, the banner, the giant image at the top for the month of May. And she said, come here and take a look at this. And I came over and I'll show it for you here. It's basically this picture of a bunch of kids and, and people all in this living room and the lights are low and it's like they got books and games and the TV's on. And she's like, it's almost like they knew that we were going to be in quarantine. Um, yeah, you'd think like May would be pictures of spring and outdoors and all kinds of stuff. And that's what we're finally getting now. This is just absolutely beautiful. I love it. It's amazing uh, how we can learn to appreciate the little things like a gorgeous spring day. I read a book recently by Leonard Sweet called Rings of Fire. He says the world is changed not by force of numbers, but by emporiums of light, plantings of seeds, pinches of salt, and stories of truth, beauty, and goodness. The classic confessions of faith are priceless, but the best confessions of faith are stories of God's saving action in our own histories and in the histories of others. Well, we've been taking some time over the last few weeks in a series called At the Feet of Our Spiritual Mothers. We've been looking at these different women down through history, uh, realizing that each one of them living a different live, life, but with a common faith that is driving them at the center. So we've been doing this for the last few weeks. We'll wrap that up this morning. And then next week, we're going to be hearing some other stories from a number of Elevation's mission partners. We're going to be hearing about their own plantings of seeds and their own pinches of salt in the world. But the point of this isn't that we would stand in awe of these stories or try to copy these stories. In fact, this morning's mother will remind us that we should not be trying to copy her story. The point is to celebrate God's saving action in and through them and be reminded that God is writing a story with our lives too. The best confession of faith, the best explanation for the hope we have, is the life that we live in our own time, in our own place, and in our own way. Now I want to take you back to December 1999, the turn of the century, and Gallup did a poll at that time uh, in which they asked people, uh, they asked Americans to name the person from the 20th century who they felt did the most good work. Uh, I've got a picture up here, got a little bit of a shadow box for you to take a look at. Can you guess who the number one person was that people in America admired? The answer was Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was number one when it came to that. That was interesting. Uh, the other interesting thing that I thought about actually when I was reflecting on this series of ours is that none of the three women that we're looking at uh, are actually known by their given names. We started off with Julian of Norwich. Julian was not her name. That was the name of the church that she served at. And so it's been applied to her. Harriet Tubman, that was not her given name. Her given name was actually Araminta Ross. And she changed that when she got married. Mother Teresa was not born Mother Teresa either. I mean, that would be a kind of a strange name to give a child. This is our little baby, Mother Teresa. Um, no, she was born Agnes Boyachu in Albania in the year 1910. So just as Harriet Tubman's life was winding to a close, Mother Teresa's life was getting started. Agnes was born into a large and happy family, and by the age of 12, she was already convinced that she would be a missionary. 
I'm sure we've got some 12 year olds listening here and watching this morning. And I would just ask you like, are you tired yet of grownups asking you what you want to do when you grow up? It's some of this question that we always ask people around that stage of life. But Mother Teresa knew at the age of 12 that she was going to be a missionary. And already by the age of 18, she had left home to become a nun. Now, we've probably got 18 year olds watching as well this morning, and I can pretty much guarantee that very few of you at least are considering becoming a nun. But when she was asked once about uh, her life trajectory, considering she got such an early start, she said, I never doubted even for a second that I've done the right thing. Now, Teresa's taught as a, at a convent school for nearly 20 years, but it was increasingly bothered by the extreme poverty of Calcutta in the country of India. She began to experience this, this longing, this vision almost. She said, I was to leave the convent and help the poor while living among them. It was an order. To fail would have been to break the faith. And for the next half century, this is exactly what she did. She once wrote saying, I'm by blood, I am Albanian, by citizenship and Indian, by faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. Well, this morning, we're gonna explore the ways that Mother Teresa engaged the suffering around her and within her, and how she remained devoted to Jesus throughout it all. Well, in 1950, after reading about a nun who had set up orphanages in the United States, this thought kept coming to Teresa, why can't I do for him, meaning God, why can't I do for him in India what she is doing for him in America? Teresa went on to found the Missionaries of Charity, a Roman Catholic religious organization, which in her words would care for the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for, people that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. Mother Teresa is known for her little sayings and one of them was all things being equal, choose the hard thing. Well, she definitely did that. I mean, we're taught to aim high. We're taught to climb the ladder. We're taught to shoot for the stars. But Mother Teresa got down on her hands and knees in the gutters to live among the poorest of the poor. In the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus was teaching one point about a future day when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when all of our days are done and when everything in this world has run its course. This is what he said it's going to be like. He said, it's gonna be like a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. And so he goes on to tell the story that at the end of the day, like a shepherd separates sheep from goats, the son of man will separate um, one group of people from another. And to the one group of people, he will say, you know, good for you. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I needed clothes, you gave me something to wear. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. But the people that he was saying this to, they were confused. They, they said, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry? I don't remember that. And when did we see you thirsty? I don't remember giving you anything to drink. And Jesus responded to them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This passage was a key inspiration for Mother Teresa, and in many ways, her entire life's work is one long application of Jesus' story. Now, the parable went on. There were two groups, remember? The goats were a, second, a different story. In fact, Jesus responded to them uh, using the same kind of situations. He said, well, I, I was hurt, hungry, 
um, but you didn't give me anything to eat. And there was a time I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick, you didn't come to take care of me. I was in prison and you did not come to visit me. How do you think they responded? They responded exactly the same way as the first group. Well, when did we see you? When did we see you hungry and didn't give you anything to eat? When did we see you thirsty and didn't give you anything to drink? The 1980s musician Keith Green wrote a song about this parable, about this chapter in Matthew. And at one point he has the, these goat people uh, respond. He's like, you weren't one of those creepy people who used to come to the door, were you? Oh, Lord, that wasn't our ministry. We just didn't feel led, you know, all, the, all of the excuses. But the interesting thing about Mother Teresa's perspective is that she didn't have the response of either of those groups. You see, when she, she said that when I cleanse the wounds of the poor, I am cleansing the wounds of Christ. She did recognize Jesus in the poor, in the people who were in need. To this day, Missionaries of Charity manages homes for people dying of HIV and AIDS, leprosy and tuberculosis. They managed soup kitchens, dispensaries and mobile clinics. They oversee children's and family counseling programs. They oversee and run orphanages and schools. Members of this charity, they take the vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience, would be, which would be common to nuns, but they also profess a fourth vow to give wholehearted, free service to the poorest of the poor. At one time, Mother Teresa observed about her work. She said that people are hungry for God. What a terrible meeting it would be with our neighbor if we give them only ourselves. She didn't want to just give health care or just give food to people. She also wanted to give them Jesus. And this perspective is actually important for us to reflect on as a church who is embraced as part of our longer term vision, developing a culture of invitation that we would invite people into the life of faith that we're experiencing ourselves. But we don't need to do the same things that Mother Teresa did. This was part of her message. She asked the question, do we know who our own poor are? Do we know our neighbor? the poor of our own area. It's so easy for us to talk and talk about the people of other places. Very often we have the suffering, we have the lonely, we have the people old, unwanted, feeling miserable, and they are near us and we don't even know them. She considered the poverty of affluent nations like our own to be searing loneliness and rejection. People in our country, she would say, may not be asking for food. They may not be looking to be clothed, although some people are for sure. But she said the overwhelming poverty in our nation is this loneliness and this rejection. Now, if people were feeling this way before the middle of March 2020, then how about now? Like Jesus, Mother Teresa draws our attention to those in need wherever we are. Do we know who they are in our communities? She would go on to say it is easy to love the people far away. It is not always easy to love those close to us. It is easier to give a cup of rice to relieve hunger than to relieve the loneliness and pain of someone unloved in our own home. Bring love into your home, for this is where our love must start. Now I'd like to take a look at this morning's reading again from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll just read the first couple of verses, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Mother Teresa's life poses the question, are we willing to give up some of the comfort we have received in order to bring comfort to the people who need it most? Another one of her short sayings goes as follows, love one another 
until it hurts. Teresa was admired for her charitable work. She was criticized for the poor conditions in her houses for the dying. And she was both admired and criticized for her opposition to abortion. But any struggle she had with her critics and opponents paled in comparison to the battle that she waged in silence for nearly half a century. We're all having some new experiences these days, and one of the new things that has entered into our vocabulary is the phrase, I'm on a call, right? Shh, can you just be quiet? I'm on a call. You know, just a little hand sign, I'm on a call. Uh, in fact, a parent was telling me, I think it was maybe on our neighbor's call last week or the week before, they were saying that their, their little one was imitating them and saying, like, Mommy, I'm on a call. And I saw this image which depicts that, and it's amazing. Right from the start, we learn how to live by paying attention to the people around us, don't we? Well, just as Mother Teresa provides us with an example of walking with others in their suffering, she also demonstrates the possibility of living with great suffering ourselves. Now I'm going to tell you something you may not have known about Mother Teresa, that for the last four decades of her life, she did not feel God's presence. I remember the headlines. 2007, the headlines read, I have no faith. Picture of Mother Teresa and a story about she, about how some writings of hers had been released and she admitted that she had lost her faith. This is what the story was about anyway. Even though her life was one long lived prayer, the need for her to withdraw, to be alone with God, well, that was as important to her as any of her work with the poor. But as soon after she started her work in Calcutta, she found that there was a terrible darkness within her, as if everything was dead. Now, the cause of these headlines was the release of a book called Come Be My Light. And I get to read a, a section of this book. It was a collection of her letters that she had written back and forth uh, with the superior, and they revealed this darkness in her. She writes, I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. My God, who am I that you should forsake me, the child of your love, and now become as the most hated one, the one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved? I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer, no one to whom I can cling, no no one. Alone. The darkness is so dark, and I am alone. Unwanted. Forsaken. The loneliness of the heart that wants love is unbearable. Where is my faith? Even deep down, right in, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. It pains without ceasing. I have no faith. Now the headlines imagine this to be the ultimate hypocrisy. This great woman of God who has no faith and feels only darkness and emptiness. But I remember when I read that article, I remember thinking, well, that's beautiful. That's profound. You see, if Teresa's blue and white nun's habit made her seem unrelatable, if her work with the poorest of the poor is hard for us to identify with, well, then this at least is something we can relate to. Because suffering, it comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? A broken relationship, a lost job, physical pain, uncertainty about the future. Sometimes it's even smaller things. Sometimes we suffer because of things like the tedium of every day being the same as the day before and the knowledge that the next day is going to be exactly the same. That can cause suffering in us. Isolation, not being able to be with the people we love. I read an article this last week about how the lack of physical touch 
affects people in significant ways and we're starting to feel that these days. And of course, suffering can be a lack of sensing God's presence. She would continue to write, there is such a terrible darkness within me as if everything was dead. There is such a deep loneliness in my heart that I cannot express it. How long will our Lord stay away? I'd like to read another clip. This one comes from a book called The Sin of Certainty by Pete Enns. This is a great book. This is right toward the end. Let's read a couple of pages here for you. When we cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? We are experiencing something of what Jesus experienced on the cross when he cries out those same words. Suffering is not a sign that something is wrong with us and has to be corrected. Suffering is a key component of what identifies us as children of God. Here's one of my favorite thoughts in all of Paul's letters. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Christ for Paul means not only experiencing the power of his resurrection, the triumphs and spiritual highs of the life of faith, the parts we can all quickly get on board with, it also means experiencing the dark times in the life of faith, the sharing of Christ's sufferings, participating in them, so to speak. The two go together. Sharing Christ's suffering and death goes hand in hand with experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection. I'm not glorifying or papering over the pain, but when weariness and hopelessness settle in, at that very moment, our suffering is Christ's suffering and his is ours. We are more like Christ in these moments than we might realize. I was reading a passage this week as part of my morning Bible reading. It comes from John chapter 12. Jesus says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, John goes on to clarify in the very next sentence that Jesus was referring to the way that he would die when he was talking about lifting up, referring to crucifixion. And somehow it struck me this week that it's Jesus' suffering that draws us to him. And that it probably works this way because it's the one sure thing we can identify with. There's a lot about Jesus that's hard to identify with. I've never walked on water. I've never, you know, laid hands on someone and have them cured of blindness. I never multiplied bread and, and uh, fish to feed a crowd of thousands. No, I've never done these things, but I've suffered, at least in small ways, and, and I can identify with him in that. And I think that's at least part of what he meant when he said that he would draw all people to him through his suffering. In our reading this morning, Paul writes about sharing in the suffering of Jesus and how this can result in patient endurance. In verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. God's comfort and the patient endurance of suffering often go hand in hand. Over time, Mother Teresa came to love even the darkness as she recognized in it a very small part of the same darkness and pain that Jesus experienced on earth. And so she came to the conclusion, I am perfectly happy to be nobody, even to God. Mother Teresa died on September 5th, 1997, the day before Princess Diana's funeral. Now many of us would remember exactly where we were when Princess Diana's funeral was happening. The world was watching and here this incredible woman of faith passed away. Shortly before her death, Mother Teresa was asked, are you afraid of dying? She said, how can I, how can I be? Dying is going home to God. I have never been afraid. 
She received a state funeral from the Indian government in gratitude for her service to the poor regions and all religions in the country. Over 600 missions grew out of that initial Missionaries of Charity, with over 4,300 nuns serving in 123 different countries. In the end, the darkness that she experienced became her true vocation as she embraced a role of an advocate for people who are in darkness themselves. She wrote, if I ever become a saint, I will surely be one of darkness. I will continually be absent from heaven to light the light of those in darkness on earth. My hope this morning is that by reflecting on her life and legacy, we would be open in our own place and in our own time to what she was open to, coming alongside the suffering of others and enduring our own suffering with a quiet trust in God's faithfulness. You see, the psalm that begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words that Jesus cried out from the cross that we can sometimes identify with in our own suffering, that same psalm continues with these words. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Let us pray. God, I am grateful for the examples of people who have gone before us. I'm grateful that we can look at their lives and realize that our job is not to do exactly the same thing that they did, but it is to draw on that same core faith that motivated them. This morning, I'm thankful for the example of Mother Teresa, her willingness to stand along with other people in their suffering and her willingness to endure her own suffering. God, I pray that we would catch that vision in our own lives. And I pray for those of us who feel like we're not hearing from you, who feel like darkness is more of our companion than light. God, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them as the one who we can trust in the midst of all seasons of life. Lord, go with us throughout this day and this week. Help us to bring light to darkness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we do each week, uh, we're going to dismiss and send you off to your neighbors groups, an opportunity to talk about this morning's sermon and to check in with one another during these unusual days. If you are not normally part of a neighbors group, but you'd like to join in, there'll be a link right now in the comments section. You can click on that and that'll send you over actually to my neighbors group and I'll let you in on our conversation. We'd love to have you join us today. God bless you as you head out into this week. I uh, hope that it's an amazing one. Peace to you.